Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillier. Paul, this was a tough week. Well, in some ways, yes. In other ways, no. We got baseball back. Oh, I was referring to the uh, the podcast itself. In life, sure. <laughs> yeah, the light, the light, light, you know, life's tough. Life's tough. You know, there's ups and downs and depending on where you live things are harder or easier than others. what are you what are you drinking there what do you got what is that mm-hmm. it, it's a beautiful single malt <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna uh bore bore the good <laughs> listeners with the details. I, see i disagree i think people listen to the show and are like what's paul drinking now funny enough it's it's the same bottle that was presented to me uh the night of my birthday remember i had i had a, a visitor Oh, during our that's right. uh, guest spot. Yes. Those, those fine gentlemen from, um, perfect album side, perfect album side. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I popped out and th- this, this was the gift. So it's, uh, dynamite. Yeah. Well, I'm drinking a sour. I got nice. my local, my local Vendome liquor, liquor store. It's lovely. And, um, you know, we're ready to go. This is actually a funny episode guys, because we had a, a topic kind of picked out and then, um, it was late uh, one night recently, a couple nights ago, night, last night maybe. And I said to myself, this is really hard. I can't do this. I asked you, I go, is this hard? And you said, yes. And I said, let's, let's, let's change it up. Let's call it Hot Route. Hot Route Omaha. Hot Route, yeah. And we, uh, we changed it up. We felt the blitz and we decided to toss this route instead. It was wide open. The mic was coming. For six. You know, the mic was coming and we had to... Make sure we double teamed him uh, up the middle. Got to mind your blind side too. I feel uh, good with where we're at with this, by the way. Oh yeah, no, this was this was delightfully tough, and um, I'm bearing the lead here. But it's we're doing a show. Uh, we did we did a show, oh God, like seventy episodes ago, called um, the best B sides. Pick your five best B sides. This goes one step further. This is the that episode on crack. This is make an album out of B-sides. And I think we've done it. Um, mm-hmm. It was very hard. And, and the bonus, there's a bonus question, by the way, associated with this, which I will ask you and answer as well ooh, when we're done. Fun. So we'll get to that. Um, we're also going to hit, uh, we're going to resume a series we call Essential Song. So we've done that once before. We did, uh, what album did we do before? I took my notes. We've done Riot Act, and today we are doing Binaural, so the essential song from Binaural. Then we'll get our live cut and lyric of the week, of course. Uh, but first, I want to hit on a couple pieces of news that came up um, just in the last couple of days. Maybe you guys have seen them. I just want to touch on them briefly because I've noticed on the boards on Facebook that some people don't see the news um, as it happens. They're not glued to... Um, the Google news alerts or the Twitter or the Instagram or whatever. And the, they get the, they get those news a little bit slower. So if you come to us and expect to hear some news and notes or some current events, 
this is this is the point at which we will talk about that. And that is that uh, Stone and Mike were both in publications this past week talking about this next album, this next post-Gigaton album, and when it might be happening and how far along it is and what's going on. And they both have said that the next album recordings that have been going on with Andrew Watts, um, which Ed mentioned gave away a couple months ago, will continue as soon as they finish the fall leg of the Gigaton, Gigaton tour. Stone says that what they've been doing so far has happened very quickly and without overthinking it, and that it sounds fantastic. And he says that Matt has been playing his balls off. So that seems kind of fun, right, Paul? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. I, I, I'm excited. There's some killer new music that we have yet to hear and, and, and like just really, really well rehearsed. I mean, we were very fortunate. You were exceedingly fortunate to hear what you did here at Ohana. But uh, the band has probably put in a little bit more time since then. So I imagine that we're going to hear some really pristine performances. And I am over the moon excited about it. And not only they are, uh, does the band sound like they are really getting back in the groove together, um, we've got the tour dates. They are finally, finally announced. Uh, you and I will be visiting the forum here in Los Angeles the weekend of May 6th and 7th. Uh, I'm sure I, I asked the question out there on Instagram. Many of you are excited. You're going to Oklahoma City, you're going to New Jersey, you're going to Nashville, you're going to the Garden, you're going to Vegas, you're going to Sacktown, you're going to Oaktown, you're going all over the place. I love it. I love hearing where you guys are going. I know people are flying in from all over the country, all over the world. So this is very exciting. We're getting Pearl Jam again. Those of you in Europe, 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 why does it sound weird when I say it? Europe are getting festivals this summer. Um, it's going to be an exciting year, guys. We're very stoked on this. Finally, some things are starting to really, really happen. Um, but you know what? That'll all come. We'll all get to that first. This, this challenge we gave ourselves, Paul. The best. The, I shouldn't say best. The album of B-sides. Make an album of B-sides. We gave ourselves a limit. Ten songs to make an album. No time limit. They could be as long as you want. You know, I guess if you chose of the earth, you could choose like a nine minute version of that. That wouldn't that wouldn't be a problem. Um so I think what we should do is we should just say our albums just straight through. What do you think? I like that. I like that approach. Would you like to go first or like like, me to go first? Uh, I'm happy to take the lead. You go on go ahead, Paul Gillier. Age before beauty, Jason. Yes, (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) <laughs> factually accurate <So>, factually. Yeah. <laughs> hey i turned 40 this year my friend yeah you do it's, it's all you happening do. i'm excited for you thank you thank you uh all right so there really weren't any stipulations I, I did say to you you know no no soundtrack songs but hey if the song was written and demoed at a time before it was added to a soundtrack technically it's a b-side so right I, yeah. I would say man of the hour does not count but perhaps the single songs do so uh, I think so. Um, they, they, they might be eligible they might, here. They might. So go ahead and um, kick us off with your first track. I'm going to sit back and relax for the next few minutes here. You should. So I'm going to open up with uh, one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs, uh, a track known as Alone. Uh, I just love What the, an opener. I know, right? It's, it's, it's arguably one of the, the, the coolest rock openers that never was in a lot of ways. 
So we open up with Alone. It's just a heavy hitter right in your face. This is a song that for the life of me, I have never understood did not make verses. Yeah. I just, I just to this day, I don't understand how and why it didn't make verses. In fact, um, I think Mike actually agrees with me because if, if you check the Lost Dogs liner notes, this, this is Mike on this track. From the 10 era, we played it live a few times. Uh, I always loved it. I don't know why it never made it. There you go. Neither do I. Neither do I. <laughs> Neither do I. So, what a great opener. Uh, just really hits you in the face, and it sets the tone for, I think, the, the next good handful of songs. After that, we're going to move into Brother, which is another one of my favorite rock songs from this particular era. Again, from the liner notes of Lost Dogs. This is from, uh, from Mike here. This song caused an argument between Jeff and Stone back in the day. I put guitars all over it because Ed asked me to. This <laughs> was from the... I mean, the, the, it's all instrumental on lost dogs but jeff says i freaking love this riff from stone in 91 when stone said he was over it and didn't want to play it anymore i nearly quit the band what a <laughs> what an effing baby i was i do remember going out to the seven foot hoop behind london bridge where we were recording and dunking until my wrists were bleeding passive aggressive rage makes for some good rock and roll my brother again these are two songs that even fans look back on now and think Man, like, how, how did this stuff end up on the cutting room floor? It just mm -hmm. goes to show you the nuclear supernova that was Pearl Jam at this time, what they were capable of. This is the kind of stuff that didn't make an album. It's, it's utter insanity, and it's delightful in an exercise like this. It made beginning this very, very easy. Mm -hmm. Plus, I took the John Cusack high fidelity route to my uh, playlist here. <laughs> you have I started to. off strong, yes. and then I just walloped up. I, I turned it up a notch with Brother, right? And then I mm -hmm. got to bring it down. I gotta bring it down for the third track here. And, and I did that, I think, with Hold On, which is uh, one of which, my which favorite. Version? Acoustic or electric? No, I'm going with the uh, original version from the 10 sessions, actually, which you actually can only hear in demo version. Mm -hmm. And anybody listening to this, I think, Jason, we should actually post this version. Okay. Because uh, it is an outstanding version. I find it to be far superior than the one that showed up on Lost Dogs. Uh, what Ed says, this is a very common theme, I think, in his music. If you love somebody, set them free. If someone loves you, don't fuck it up. <laughs> anyway, this one almost made it on the Versus record, according to Ed. Close but no sitar, he says. I like that reference. Uh, makes me think of Revolver from the Beatles. Hmm. I will tell you this, though. This is now the third song in a row that members of the band have readily acknowledged. They either couldn't understand why it didn't make it on the album. They were frustrated that it didn't make it on the album or it was so ever close to making it on the album. So clearly these are songs that deserve their own album. And obviously that, that was the whole point of Lost Dogs, but uh, we're taking this exercise and we're refining and distilling the process with a little bit more um, precision, I guess. Uh, so from, from Hold On, we're gonna pick it back up again, but we're gonna do so with Breath, which uh, I know mm. is one of your favorite songs it is. in the Pearl Jam catalog. Uh, I love this song as well. I don't think I love it quite as much as you, believe it or not, which might might come as a surprise. Uh, I really, really like it. I think it's a solid, solid mid-tempo song. It's a perfect song after, on, on the heels of uh, Hold On. I like the way it sets up my fifth song, which is our podcast, Namesake, State of Love and Trust. Hmm. Um, initially, funny enough, we had talked about whether or not songs from soundtracks would actually be eligible for this exercise. But upon further inspection, we realized, you know what? 
let's really dig into this a bit more because songs like Breath and State of Love and Trust were actually recorded before singles ever went into production. So this made them very much eligible mm -hmm. for this playlist here. And uh, I think Breath and State of Love and Trust, it's just a one-two combo, fantastic four and five tracks here. Uh, then I'm going to take a pretty significant jump through the old uh, uh, time portal here. The Flux Capacitor takes us to SAD. <laughs> yeah, we're going nice. binaural on this one. This, I want to say that uh, the Sky Ice Scrape, they did like a, a March Madness thing for, for songs a while mm -hmm. back. I don't know if they did it for B-sides or if they did it for songs. I want to say it was B-sides. And I remember SAD took, took home the, the prize that time mm -hmm. as just the most beloved B-side, which I thought was kind of, that was one of those like underdog type stories. Where I think That I think was a St. Peter's kind of thing. Yeah, it was one of those things where people saw that it was advancing. They said, oh, let, let, let's just help the cause, right? Like, well, how cool <laughs> would it be if SAD won, whether they believed in it or not? You know what I'm saying? Uh, what I do believe in, though, is that SAD deserves a very healthy place in this track list. And so I'm put, slotting it in there right there at number six, right after State of Love and Trust. I think it's just a, a wonderful, haunting track. Um, and and it's, it's a nice change in the temporal and... The, uh, the audio as well. We, we get that that cool kind of uh, reverb effect, but not in a way that's reminiscent of the 10 sessions. Very, very different. Uh, from here, I actually went into Wash, which mm. is a bit of a curveball, but I think uh, Wash is that perfect blend of just kind of very, very mellow, almost methodical droning approach to a song that just erupts at the end. And I think live, especially during the era that it was written, it is a song that showcases Eddie in ways that very few other tracks did. Mm. Uh, you'd, you'd, you'd almost have to find a song like uh, Porch or um, some of the shenanigans we saw with, with uh, Alive. Uh, but there's, there's very little that I think really highlighted Eddie as a vocalist and, and just his ability to emote the way that I think Wash does live in the early 90s. Uh, from here, I'm going to slide into Footsteps, which is actually a, a Temple of the Dog recut in a lot of ways. Uh, we got the, the Times of Trouble, the Cornell version. Gorgeous, gorgeous, very melancholy song. Uh, I think Footsteps is part of that Mama-san trilogy, which we talked about the last couple of weeks here on this this podcast as well footsteps i think just you know you're noticing a bit of a bit of a downturn here in a lot of ways the greatest hits album we had the upside and the downside mm. this follows a similar pattern with the lone brother hold on breath the state of love of trust the first five songs having much more of an up-tempo vibe but songs like sad and washington footsteps bringing it to a mid or low tempo as well uh, I'm going to follow up Footsteps with Hard to Imagine. So we're bringing up some melody again here. Just a gorgeous song. For a while, it was a fan favorite. It was one of those songs that you'd see a sign for in the early to mid-90s, pretty much in every show. Mm, yeah. And uh, I, can you imagine, can, can you possibly think of a better and more fitting ending to an album like this than Yellow Better? So that is my 10th and final song. I had 10 to work with. Uh, were there any close calls? Indeed, there were. Uh, I left off Down, which is a song that actually almost made an album as well. I really loved Fatal. Had a hard time leaving that one off. Fatal was a song I almost replaced Wash with. I was, I was pretty committed to that for a while, uh, but I opted to, to kind of 
pull that one off. Interestingly enough, this was one of Chad Blake's favorite songs mm-hmm. from the binaural sessions, Fatal. And, uh, and I think that the, the binaural recording complements this particular production very, very well. So that would have been a cool addition. Um, but the fact that a couple of the songs I thought of from, from in terms of B-sides came from binaural and a couple of them from Riot Act as well. I had a couple of songs like Undone and Down and Other Side I thought about as well. I didn't feel like any of those were quite strong enough to usurp the ones that are here, but Fatal came pretty close to moving Wash out. Uh, uh, I'd say Down did for a moment as well. So if I had to pick two songs to serve as my B-sides of the B-side album, <laughs> they, they would be Down. Demoted twice. My goodness. Demoted twice. So Down and Fatal would be my, my uh, honorable mentions. They'd All be right. the B-sides to... The, this epic recording session that that never actually happened so well that's, that, that's a hell of that's a i'm gonna land on those ones yeah Wash that, that, was tough though i mean it's I, you you love that song i, I do love that more song. than i do well and, uh, I, it's just raw pearl jam you know it you is. get that uh that almost like uh anti-solo i think is how stone described it from mike uh, oh yeah they, they characterized it as just this this one take instantaneous just mash of of just epicness and so it's uh it's kind of hard to leave it off. Well, let's see here. Let's let's see what we got. Uh, I am going to start with that very song, Wash. Wow, it's one okay. of those uh, old school, rarely hear anymore openers that feels perfect to open a B-Sides album with for me. Yes. In a similar fashion to how Release has opened shows with that down-tempo tempo lull you in with something that builds to a grand crescendo kind of thing it's a perfect way to ease into an album for me i love how it goes from almost like nothing to something and then from there for me it's got to go into a song that you did not have all night i'm going all night wow oh yeah interesting okay we're going to the no code sessions we're going all night we've warmed up now it's time to get going We've got a lot, uh, lot to get to on this album, and, and, and you know, while it might not all be positive, we have to feel all of the feels. We have to get everything out there. We have to make sure that we feel everything. We can't just focus on just the negatives, just the positives. We got, we got to be completely human. I guess I would say, the rolling earthquake of this beat, the layered vocals, this, this, this one kicked off my celebration playlist actually and it finds its way here as well it's that strong in my opinion i don't i don't know that it, it comes off the same way live without the backing singers um but it's still got great energy for me it's, it's unique to any other pearl gem song in the catalog so i think coming out of wash and hitting with all night bam out of the gate here we go it's a bit of positivity but it acknowledges that we got a long way to go from there we go into our namesake, State of Love and Trust. Bang, right out of the gate. We step it up a notch. So I, I'm thinking about how we're building this, like you would build a, a, a concert, like a, like a main course. Okay. A concert. You start with that kind of, you build, you kind of bring them in, you ease them in, you hit a crescendo, you get to, you stay at that level. The next song, third song, you bring it up a level. State of Love and Trust. We keep things in high gear, but we, we had a dose of reality with this one. Navigating love and relationships is hard. And... We shouldn't sugarcoat things. I like, I like keeping the energy up at the top of the album. So State Alone Trust here makes a lot of sense for me. And from there, we're going to go into Brother. You mentioned Brother for all those reasons. And these, it has to be here. It's track number four for me. The song 
that nearly brought Stone and Jeff to blows, as you mentioned. Uh, <laughs> you can't leave it off. You just can't leave it off. That beat, the staccato guitars, Ed sounds fantastic, of course. It's got that 10 groove, but also sounds like it's separate from that album in some way. Yeah. I, I can see why it was left off, but it's too good not to include here. There are not a lot of mic face melters on my album here. So another reason to have this song on, on my album of B-Sides is because of that. So boom, here we go. We've got Wash, All Night, State of Love and Trust, and Brother. And the way Brother ends puts us nicely into a different state of mind for Fatal. The way that that song ends, it's just it's a perfect, perfect bridge to a mellower song. And Fatal is criminally a B-Side. Yeah. Should have been on Binaural, but it's making this album. And this is one of those stone beauties that needs more love. And I love slotting in right here, middle of the album for me. It starts out so tranquil and then opens up. It blossoms into this expansive, cerebral, mid-tempo thing. And just as quickly then, it kind of cocoons back into more of a, more of a, like a lull, more, more of a, a lighter, lighter fare. Nice. And I think that's a nice way to get into my next track, which is Other Side. It seems appropriate to stay in the down tempo, a little bit more melancholy. Let's hang here for a bit. Another super underrated track that talks about death uniquely from the point of the dead, point of view from the dead. I like that there's a cluster here in the middle that's gonna focus on mortality and humanity. It'll continue in a minute as well. Another one of those PJ tracks that stands out amongst the rest, perhaps it's the chord choices, the strumming, the guitar effects on the solo. It needs its complement though, and that's what follows next. That's sad. Time to honor the dead from those still living. Some would argue, as you mentioned in the the Red Mosquito Forum, that it's the best B-side that the band's ever done. Maybe we didn't vote it that way, but we voted it alone. But um it's it's criminal that didn't make my normal either for me. I really like these three songs being in a row, Fatal, Other Side, and Sad. Uh, right in the heart of the album, too. These songs kind of anchor this album for me. It's funny that these three songs from the Binaural Night Act sessions are going to anchor the album for me when we have so many great songs in the early part of the, of the catalog. The music, though, starts to bring us out of our funk and will transition us nicely into the next couple of songs. The bridge and the interlude are still one of my favorite moments in any Pearl Jam song. And they really had some stuff cooking in the early 2000s here. And it only makes sense that I had to honor that mini golden era with these three songs in a row. From there, we've got to go into what we both consider to be the best B-side of all time, Alone. Bang. Let's hit him right in the mouth again. Um, this song ticks pretty much every box of what a good Pearl Jam song is. Colorful lyrics that let me know exactly what the plight of the subject is, maybe even telling a bit of a story. Hard rocking guitars playing off of each other, intricate drum patterns and a bass line that weaves in and out appropriately. And then of course, a face melting mic guitar solo. It's got it all. It's got a slot in right here. From there, we gotta keep things high. We gotta keep the energy back high again. We had a little bit of a lull in the middle of the album. We were focusing inwards. Let's look back outwards, breath. We gotta keep things positive. We've been down in the dumps focusing on our mortality with negative connotations or perspective. 
Um, yeah, this is the track where we really let loose and look to find the positive in the world outside of our bubble. This is the track that pushes us past the boundaries we had set prior, the boundaries we'd set within ourselves. It's time to set forth and be free and find what really serves us. I think that's a really nice crescendo to where the album needs to then kind of breathe and, and find a bit of perspective. And of course, that means we go to hard to imagine. Couldn't have a B-side album without this. And for me, there's no place to put it besides the end. I almost consider this the epilogue of the album. It really comes down to the outro, the second half of the song, if you will. Another Stone classic, but it's Ed's mantra lyrics that secure this song's position as a Pearl Jam gem and worthy of winding this album down. It's a sing-along in the least obvious sense, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's so simple, yet so effective. And because, Paul, I screwed up, I guess you could say, by not recognizing uh, the single soundtracks songs being a part of this until the very last moment. Well, that's why you have me. I'm going to give you one more song. Oh, boy. I guess, I'll, you- I, I guess I will slide Fatal in there. There you go. Uh, I'm going to have to end this thing with Better for the same reasons that you stated before. And I will say, you know, I spoke about starting the album off like a good concert starts off with Wash the way that I did. Well, the best Pearl Jam shows always, almost always, end with Mikey saying goodnight. And an album made of B-sides has to end with Better. I see no other option personally. So sort of cheated, but you're cheating with me. So we're all good. 11 songs as it is for B-side album. Holy shit. We left off some good stuff. We did. Um, ours were, were similar, but there were some, some differences in there. Um, what surprised you with this, with this uh, exercise? So I think what, what was surprising to me was how heavy I was on the early stuff, mostly mm. because um and, and I said this in the past, especially during our episode where we retract binaural, there was so much content from those binaural and riot act sessions that I, I couldn't for the life of me understand why it was left off the album. And I know that there are, you know, very, very compelling contextual arguments to be made. If Stip was on here, he'd be one of the first ones. We'll see him next straight. I know we will. Exactly. Um, you know, he, for example, he was a, a huge proponent of uh, leaving a song like uh, Breaker Fall off of Binaural, blasphemy. naming that as a, as, as a B-side in favor of other tracks. But look, it's Pearl Jam in that early era, basically from 10 all the way through Vitology, that was something that it, it was not just lightning in a bottle because that it wasn't a one-off album. It wasn't a, a one-hit wonder single and then they mm-hmm. were gone. This was something that it, it, they are a super group in their own regard. I mean, these guys could be, and, and I, I, I've made this argument in the past with, with other friends and conversations about music, about Led Zeppelin, how these guys could literally be just the most in-demand session musicians you could possibly ask for. And then they all got together and they just started crushing it on an album level. And I think Pearl Jam in a lot of ways, while that's not what they were, uh, you had guys like Stone and Jeff and, and Michael, you know, just cutting their teeth with um, Mother Love Bone. And I think you bring Mike in, I'm sorry, uh, Matt in uh, post Soundgarden and it just took things to another level. 
So in a lot of ways, Pearl Jam is to some degree a 90s supergroup. And I don't think people really look at it that way, and that's okay. Mm. But if you if you look at it from a much larger lens that ex- expands into the early era of Green River and Mud Honey and some of that stuff, I think that, and, and obviously Mother Love Bone, you can start to see how some of the cream really rose to the top here with these guys. And I actually thought when we first started having this conversation that there were going to be more songs from the No Code and Beyond era. And what I loved about your playlist was how heavy you were in just really creating more equity throughout the catalog i tried to yeah and, but it, it if you take that and it conceptual wasn't approach, it wasn't no forced. it wasn't but when you go into a playlist and, and you have a a design behind building it i think it lends itself to being able to to really do that uh, whereas for me i just kind of looked at it from I, I would say more of a basic structural model and I kind of took the note, uh, the rear view mirror greatest hits album. And I said, okay, if this was an album, what would this kind of look like? Let's have a, a heavier set and a down set. And what I noticed was the heavier stuff. You just cannot beat the early things. And, uh, on the downside though, uh, there are some nice down tempo tracks from the early eras, but a lot of them were unfinished songs like uh, acoustic number. Was it nine or one? I forget what it was. Mm. The one that was on the Pearl Jam 20 soundtrack would have loved to see them flesh that out, but it never was, but it wasn't until the band really, really matured into their own sound that you started to see a more variety of dynamic in terms of the, the sonic composition. So uh, there were a lot of things that surprised me, but the, the, the 10 tracks that I have for me, I, I, I cannot imagine bumping any of them out. The only the closest thing I got to in that regard was move and wash out for fatal. And I, even then I didn't need, end up doing that. So I'm going to recite my 10 here. I'm going to mm-hmm. bounce it back to you to do the same. And I'm going to pose that question. Okay. So here, here's my 10 alone to start followed by brother. Hold on breath, state of love and trust, sad wash footsteps, hard to imagine. And we finish up with lead better baton pass to you. Okay, so I had um, Wash, All Night, State of Love and Trust, Brother, Fatal, Other Side, Sad, Alone, Breath, Hard to Imagine, and Lead Better. And Lead Better. Okay, so here's the question. Mm-hmm. We have never formally done an album ranking on the show. We have not. We're, not doing, we're not doing one today, but if you had to take your album, mm-hmm. where would you slot it numerically? You don't have to name the albums that would come before or after. Okay. Interesting. But numerically, where would this album slot? I'll tell you, for me, it would slot in, for my playlist, would slot in at number three or four. All time, amongst all Pearl Jam albums. I... It's either two or three. Ooh. Okay. That's exciting. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah strong very strong and that's that's that, that's a that's a kudos to the band the fact that i mean this is over the course of 31 years um that we're pulling all these songs from but jesus the, the, the quality that's not even making some of these albums yeah it's a, it's pretty stuff, it's man. pretty i mean i got songs from 10 no code versus binaural right act there you go. So there, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot from the other stuff to pull from. Um, you know, yield yielded only yield yielded only a couple of tracks. Leatherman, you, eh, you know, they're fine. 
but um yeah tough stuff but um i think we got some good stuff out of it i'm curious what you guys think i'm curious what what kind of album you would put together some tra- a track list you put together of all the b-sides if you had a uh, 10 stroke 11 so um track listing yeah, let us know. Let us know what you think. And while you're doing that, of course, you should follow us on all social media and you should rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to it. So let us then move on to our next next topic here, next segment, which is the essential song we're going with by Neural this week. May I go first? Please. Okay. This was kind of hard. I had like two choices and then I switched it around. I had two choices as well. Pray and tell, I, my good man. I was like, I, uh, uh, I'll tell you this, the, uh, the other two songs. I, there were three that I was kind of going between. I'll tell you the other two that didn't make that didn't make it in a minute. I'm going to go with nothing as it seems. The band spoke about how important the slow songs were on this record and how Chad Blake's mixes especially on the slow ones was so instrumental to the vibe of the record so i had to choose a slow one and i felt i i also felt compelled to choose a song that had the binaural recording technique makes a lot of sense i felt that was the last piece of the puzzle after picking a song from its musical and thematic merits that really nailed down what this record is about in so much of this record it feels like yearning for something better it felt like uh that feeling of being in the middle of this shit and you think there's got to be a way out you hope there's a way out but you just don't know and all you can see is negativity around you and, and, and so you insulate yourself within what's comfortable and known you retreat into yourself into your home and for me that's what this song does so well it celebrates the comfort of home while anguishing for the outside world to be better. And in retrospect, it might seem a little bit of a cop-out to choose the lead single from the album, but perhaps the band and the label knew what the hell they were doing. So I think for all that, it just makes a lot of sense to choose Nothing As It Seems as the most essential song from this record. And I will tell you, the two songs that were fighting tooth and nail to beat this for me were Light Years and Parting Ways. What, parting ways wow yes okay really value that song what do you <clears throat> say so i have a, a, a similar conclusion here okay uh, parting ways was not in the running for essential track but light years was mm-hmm. um i think it's important to understand when you when you think about this approach to recording how pearl jam had essentially reached a stage in their growth where they were looking for something different they wanted to try something new ready for a change right so they they decided to forego recording again or or having their music produced by brendan o'brien they went with chad blake down here in la at the sunset sound factory and it was this use of two microphones to create that 3d stereophonic sound right however it seemed to really really shine on the slower more down tempo tracks songs like of the girl, which was my second honorary uh, track here. That with light years did not make the cut, but it was very, very close. Uh, I landed in the same place that you did, my friend. I'm going with nothing as it seems. 
I felt like this is a song that on an album that was very atmospheric, very moody, that played with uh, somber lyrics, that explored uh, elements of social criticism, an album that kind of conveyed a lot of the experimental themes and the abstract that I think is beautifully captured in the images of the nebulas and the album artwork. A song like Nothing As It Seems is the closest thing other than uh, Sleight of Hand, which I don't think is essential to the album necessarily, but Nothing As It Seems and Sleight of Hand were the closest things, and I suppose you could say parting ways. I, I hear that argument uh, to, to the visual that the album communicates mm. to me when I'm opening up the cellophane and I'm flipping through this thing and I'm thinking, what are these guys about to hit me with sonically? Um, I think what, what really makes Nothing As It Seems stand out is just Jeff on this upright bass. There's a certain atmosphere to it that you just cannot replicate. And when you couple that with this binaural recording approach, it really took things to another level. And Mike's use of that Fender pedal and just the, 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 dis, the dis, distortion, the solo, I mean, it's, it's, it's the closest thing I've ever heard Pearl Jam do to Pink Floyd, other than It's All Right off Gigaton. And I'm not a massive Pink Floyd fan, but if they were ever to kind of dabble in that pool, I think that they, they found a way to do it, and they did it very sparsely in their catalog, but they, they beautifully nailed it with a track like this. Uh, so I think in terms of thematically, as you put it, both in terms of, of uh, the sonic approach to the composition of the album, the recording techniques that were utilized, it's really hard to think of a song that is not more essential and more reflective of the album as a whole than nothing as it seems. So I'm going to go with you on this one. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I think um, no one disagree for me, obviously. I wonder what you guys think. You know, we, we, we did this once before, like I said, for Riot. I, I actually don't even remember what the hell we chose. Do you remember what we chose for that one? For the... For Riot X essential song? Um, it was a while ago. We haven't done this, done this in a while. Gosh, man. Yeah. It, what, what did we choose? I think I chose You Are as the essential song. I think we might have both landed on the same We might have, Yeah, yeah that, that could be true. Wouldn't that be funny if we had written all the essential songs? Yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't it, would it be, be funny, actually. as there are 11, 11 albums, if, if we, we made an album of essential songs? There that, you go. That, there you go. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah, let, let us know what you guys think. Did we, did we hit the nail on the head? Was it too easy? Was it, was it just, you know, serendipitous? Let us know what you think. Um, we're going to move on, though, and we're going to move on to our lyric of the week. Lyric of the week this week. You know, you know how we do things here. We kind of make a through line. It's from Binaural, and uh, this is a fun one. It's God's Dice. It's out of my hands, making This is one of those songs that I feel like might split the fan base. I feel like some people are into the music and don't care about the lyrics. And then people are like, I feel like people will listen to this song and think of it like Savior. It's like, ah, dad punk. Ah. 
I don't know. Look at the uh, lyrics, man. This is an interesting song by Jeff. It's Jeff, right? uh, This song, God's Dice, was written exclusively by Jeff. Jeff Ament, yes. Tell me, this is the first stanza from 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 the song. What do you got for me? It's out of my hands, making all hands meet. Stumble as it's crumbling out of reach. It's in the cards of destiny, your sanity in tow. I love that. Your sanity in tow, right? <laughs> That's great. Uh, I, there's so much that we try to do to control fate. We, 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 we strive to control so much. But if you look at so much of Eastern philosophy, it seems so centered in the ability to let go and acquiesce to that which you cannot control. And I, I love a song that really tackles the, um, the maniacal element of, of, of anarchy that is associated mm. with <laughs> having to let go and, and recognizing that when you witness and observe the world around you, you feel a certain sense of helplessness. But what's so confounding about human nature is this inherent drive to have to step forward and say, no, I will not abide. <laughs> and, mm. and you have to somehow step in and, and try to change what's happening around you. And I think that's why we get so much activism and, and, and rightfully so, because that activism is rooted in wanting to make the world a better place. Uh, but, but this, this idea of, of just cosmic intervention and the fact that it, it could be akin to gambling. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I, I, I mean, and of course we've had the conversation about gods for where, where the apostrophe gets placed. Obviously. Well, the band tells us. Mm-hmm. It's all of the gods, my friends. It's all of the gods. But uh, depending on where you look for the song track listing, uh, you will oftentimes see that apostrophe before the S. Uh, but I think if, if you just take it for face value with the apostrophe at the end, uh, the idea of multiple gods, right? I mean, it's just if you're a fan of the show Vikings, whether it's the original version or, or the new one that Netflix dropped, Vikings Valhalla, this... The, the pagan approach to, to mm-hmm. believing in, in you know, multi-theism, uh, polytheism, pardon me, the, the belief in many gods. It's fascinating to have various gods in place to explain the, the, the wonders of the world, the things that you could not explain at the time. And even the things that perhaps you could, but you felt there needed to be a greater sense of intention behind mm-hmm. it. And so you, you uh, attribute some sort of theological... Um, or, or, or divine um, connection to it. And the concept of God's dice, I, I just find utterly fascinating. And it's, it, it, it continues to be a quandary of both moral and, and societal that I don't think we've truly found a way to reconcile. We, we, we are continuing, especially in a country like America, oh, you know, where yeah. there's so much Christianity rooted in our constitution that it's very despite the fact that separation of church and state is a founding principle of the founding fathers. <laughs> Treaty of Tripoli, guys. Treaty yeah. of Tripoli. Look it up. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it, the, the complexity and nuance to this song. It, it could literally, in its own way, spark an entire evening's worth of social commentary and historical discourse. And for that, I, I have to thank Jeff because it is a perfect reflection, I think, in a lot of ways, of the way this man's mind works. And uh, to his credit, it's one of those songs that he does not keep so ambiguous in its lyrical delivery that I appreciate the fact that he gave us a little bit more meat on the bone. You know, there's, there's a lot of Jeff songwriting. We've talked a lot about this on the show that really just kind of 
hibernates in that, 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 that vague realm of just kind of letting you try to interpret the expressionistic uh, borderline uh, Monet artistic expression of, of, of his vocals. And I shouldn't say vocals, his lyrics. Uh, but I think this one, it's not that it's on the nose, but it gives us a lot more to work with. Mm-hmm. And it gives us enough to, to really understand the, uh, the paradigm and the, the, the paradoxical approach to songwriting that is a, really a driving force behind how he writes. And uh, I think in some ways, it partly explains why a lot of Jeff's solo stuff is far less accessible than say what Eddie just put together. With Andrew I was Locke. just going to say, think about the EP that he put out last yeah. July. And that's not a knock, by the way. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just simply just an he observation, has, like glo- pull back global, right? He has a very punk rock um, uh, side to him that we, I don't think, get a lot of in Pearl Jam's music per se. Um, I mean, look at a song like Pilot or Low Light, and then you compare it to this, and it's like, it's m- way more accessible both lyrically and musically in a, in a very different way. But yeah, to your point, it's very similar musically to what he put out in his EP last year. Um, I'm a little surprised that they don't play this more because it's two and a half minutes. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense to a lot of people if they really dig into what these lyrics are about. I love this song. I, I, I think it's super underrated. And I, I love that it's about, and you touched on this, it's about letting go it, at least these set of lyrics are letting go of this idea that we can control anything but our own actions coming to terms with the fact that we are not all going to get along no matter how hard we try and how bad we want it. Some people will just never see things the way that you do. You have to accept that at a certain point and simply put, it'll drive you crazy to try and retain whatever control you think you had. The bigger picture here, of course, is the inverse of what this stanza represents, that we are in control of ourselves. That much we do know. And whether you believe in a God or or gods or none at all, we got free will out there, man. We are able to make choices. We have the ability to determine how we live our lives. As the title of the song says, all gods, plural, as we mentioned before, the dice are being thrown all the time. It's a crapshoot sometimes. Or at least it feels that way. Are we the holders of the God's dice? You know, God's could be, could be argued or a human construct. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, you, you said it the way you ended it. It was perfect. Jeff meant with another lyrical, dare I say masterpiece. This is something that he has put together that I think has slid kind of under most people's radar. It's only been played 54 times. We'll get to the best live cut in, in a minute here. But think about that. It's, it's actually 20- surprising. I, I would have thought during that binaural tour, it would not have been a, lot. a highlight. No, it, it's, it's been, I mean, looking at live footsteps right now, it is, I mean, 24 times on that tour. So half the time they played it, a little under half the times that's been played was in that tour. I just don't know why it's, it, it's not like how many short ass songs do they shoehorn into set lists all the time? Put this one in there. I don't, I don't get it. Great song. Live cut. Let's do it. Live cut of the week. Here we go. Ready to stand up! Ready to 
ball. 54 times, like I said, it's a short one. It's a good one. What are we doing here? Bellingham. Opening show. That secret show. That little precursor to what would be, I think, a, a fantastic historical binaural tour. Historical in the sense that they literally released every show, uh, which I don't think any band had ever done before. So this, the, the, this was a, an epic tour for a lot of reasons. First of which is uh, the opening set, which, by the way, later turned into vault number four. All right. Let's go to Bellingham, Washington, just north of Seattle on May 10th, 2000. It's out of my hands, make it more hands me. First thing I thought of was, oh shit, Matt, he's crushing yeah. this song. Crushing yeah, they this came, song. They came to play that. Right? Yeah, they did. <laughs> he is all over that snare drum. Fantastic. Something about the binaural songs being great live right from the get-go too. This is the second song from the album. We've chosen the song's first performance ever as its best, Rival being the other. There is a fantastic energy to this song. I credit how jacked up from the crowd slash venue they were. Ed mentions that the uh, the Mountain Banker Theater is it's on a different level that night. Uh, a couple of times during the show, and they're just having a great time. It's a warm up show, Paul. It's yeah. a warm up show yeah, for but- what I mean. Guitar tone aside, I think is one of the more legendary is the wrong term, wrong word, but. <laughs> 
Well, it was released as a, was a vault show, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and it was a vault. So there was a reason why the band felt that this a warm up show was that good, worthy of the vault release. Incredible. It, it really was, man. It's uh, it, it it was a show that the fact that they opened with of the girl and the crowd, the enthusiasm coming into that set. Like, how they, they were, know? How they yeah, know? It, the album wasn't out yet. It, it didn't matter. It, it's just, it, you hear the sound. It was almost like, it, it felt like a Dave Matthews jam. At first. You're <laughs> listening to this and you're thinking, what is going on? But everybody loved it. I mean, it was, look, I realize not everybody listening is a Dave Matthews fan, but uh, if you t- check out their live at Red Rocks album, you'll get a real sense of what Dave Matthews live in the 90s actually sounded yeah. like in their prime. And Pearl Jam, this particular set list here just felt like, it it recaptured so much of what made them special in the nineties in a lot of ways. Uh, so I, I, I just think it's a fantastic set. Obviously the band does too. They released it as a vault show to me. This is just an epic performance of uh, one of Jeff's finest efforts. Love it. That's fantastic. And uh, I hope you guys uh, agree. If you don't l- let us know what, what are the other 54 performances, other 53 performances do you prefer? This is a great one, and uh, it's an underrated song. Like we've said, we hope to hear it more. Maybe we'll hear it this spring. Ooh, wouldn't that be oh, nice? I would love to. Wouldn't that be nice? Busted a few, a few B-side gems and uh, and deep cut gems we haven't heard in a while. There you go, guys. This has been episode ninety nine. This has been the Wayne Gretzky episode. Ninety nine bottles of beer on the wall. Nope. Nope. Don't have time for that. Don't have time for that. <laughs> Guys, we are going to be... Uh, Although if they are Anderson Valley winners, Solstice beers, okay. we might have to... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They will be a sponsor one day. I tell you. <laughs> They're just going to chime in. We love what you guys are doing on that show. <laughs> talking about our beer all the time, unsolicited. Money, please. <laughs> hey, well, do we have anything ready to go for the centennial episode? We do. Of this fine podcast, Jason? We do. And I'll tell you right now, gang, it's going to be a fun one. And I would settle in with a couple of snacks and maybe a beverage or two because it might get long. Oh, boy. We are talking with our friend Stip from the Skyscrape, who, by the way, is working on a Pearl Jam book. Ooh, didn't hear that from me. Um, Might be out later this year. I don't know. But Stip's writing a book. It's going to be great. It's about Pearl Jam, by the way. Just like with the bury the weed there. It's a mystery. It's it's about horticulture. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's about gum. No, no, it's about Pearl Jam. He is co-writing a book right now about our favorite band. And we will talk about that next week, but we will, and this was his idea, and it's a great idea. We are gonna be picking our singular favorite lyric from each studio album. How rare is it, by the way? that we announce in advance what next week's rare will be. Exactly. It took step to force us <laughs> into this predicament. Oh my God. I love it. Hey, I'm excited, man. Like what the uh, defining lyric from each album, this is going to be, this is going to be a hard, you think this episode was hard. That's going to be hard. This is literally what we are going to put on a clinic for philosophy majors around the world. This is it. I told or we're going to thoroughly embarrass ourselves. Oh, it, might, it, might, it, might be, <laughs> it might be terrible. It might be great. I told my wife, I go, this might be a two-parter. And she, oh, goes, she started laughing at me because she goes, you guys are nerds, but I love it. And I'm like, babe, we're already married. You can't, you can't back out now. This is it. <laughs> this is it, man. 
It might be it might be a two hour podcast. Who the hell knows? I don't know. But we're gonna be talking with Stip, giving we're gonna give our choices for the best lyric from each album. That's eleven, by the way, if you're counting at home. So get jacked up for that. We'll see you then. Centennial. Get your beers, get your cocktails, get your blunts, get your whatever the hell you got. I don't care. Get them ready. We'll see you then. And uh, until we see you for the 100th episode, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Trust.